This is the third and final week of this series that we have been going through called Good Trouble. It's about courageously confronting racism. Um, We're doing this study not because we're like, well, setting aside the most important things about what it means for us to be a church, to to take three weeks and then after this we're going to get back to the the actual important things. The, The purpose, the reason we're doing this is because we want to highlight something take time out of our normal operating procedures to highlight something that is extremely important to us and that is uh, essential to what it means for us to be individual followers of Jesus and for us to be the church. We say repeatedly every single week, why do we exist? To grow goodness, right? And one of the things that it means to grow goodness is to cultivate the common good. And one of the things that it means to cultivate the common good is to, uh, is to do the things necessary to pursue racial justice and reconciliation. It is not something to the side, but it is essential to what it means for us to be the church, for us to be the Grove, Cottage Grove, for what it means to be, uh, to, for what it means to grow goodness. Uh, this series, too, has been following, it's largely based on this book by Jamar Tisby, who is a theologian and historian. He, he cares deeply about the church. He cares deeply about individual followers of Jesus living this stuff out. And so one of the things that he does in his book, How to Fight Racism, is he lays out this framework that uh, we can all follow and that we have been tracking over these three weeks. And the framework is three letters, ARC. A-R-C. So the first week we talked about awareness. Yes, we need to grow in our awareness of the racial divide, of racial injustice, about um, the, the things that separate us, but we can't stay there. We then need to move into relationship, fostering relationships with people who are different from us in order that we can pursue reconciliation. And then today we move into that third letter, the C, which is about commitment, which is taking the step of, all right, well, we can be aware and we can uh, foster relationships, but we need to be committed to this thing, not just now, but going forward and committed to the hard work that is going to be required for us to pursue justice and reconciliation. So this had me thinking this past week about my, my first job as a pastor. Uh, when, I, when I graduated, I started a job as an outreach and student ministry pastor at a church, at a, a new church start in Shakopee. Uh, you might be familiar with Shakopee because Valley Fair. Shakopee is like the, the cottage grove of the southwest suburbs. <laughs> it, it goes a lot down into the valley along the uh, Minnesota River instead of the Mississippi River. It's just like the opposite corner. Uh, so there I was outreaching student ministry pastor. The student ministry part was pretty obvious. Um, I was there to oversee the, the ministries for students who were grades 6 through 12. Uh, that was the obvious part. The outreach part was less obvious. Basically, I was responsible for overseeing all of the ministries that did anything outside of the four walls of the church. That's a lot. That's a lot in any church, but we were a new church start that did not have a building, which meant that all of the ministries outside of the four walls of the local church was even more. <laughs> so there was a lot that was uh, included in that, that job title in, in my responsibilities. And uh, as I later found out, one of the responsibilities that was covered under that outreach part was, um, was planning missions trips. Uh, it came down for me as directed by our elder board at that time in uh, 2013, late 2013, 
uh, they requested that in my job that I needed to plan a family missions trip for our church. Uh, there are a few qualifications. One of them was that it needed to be for families, including families of young children, five years and up. Um, it needed to be close, but not too close. And it needed to be somehow cross-cultural. So, uh, oh, also, I needed to make the, the decision. I needed to find it and make the decision within like two months so we could begin planning for it. Um, that's a lot. Uh, to, to try to do and to try to do it right. But it was my job, I took it on, and I did my research as best as I could and eventually landed on an organization that had uh, short-term missions trips to Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Um, you may or may not be familiar with what missions trips are. I had a conversation just in the last couple of weeks, I used that term mission trip, and someone in the congregation had no idea what I was talking about. So you might not know what a mission trip is, or if you do know what a mission trip is, it's possible that you have a different understanding of what they are and, and, and what they're for. Um, so in, in my understanding of what a mission trip is meant for, is it's an opportunity for you to get out of your comfort zone, to get out of your context, to go somewhere else, where you can partner with a local organization that is doing meaningful work, that is on the ground, that is indigenous to that place. You're able to partner with them in the work that they are doing there. Um, and hopefully, one of the results is that somehow through you doing that, you yourself are being changed. So that when you leave that after a week or so, when you leave that mission trip, you go back home and you have been changed in such a way where you're making now this commitment to do differently in your normal life back at home. Does that make sense? So like that, that's one perspective on what a mission trip in, is and, and what a mission trip is for. There's another perspective on what mission trips are and what they're for, however. Um, some people would suggest that mission trips are for going to a place uh, and you, you go to that place acknowledging that there is something wrong with that place. And you are coming in to help to fix what is wrong with that place. And as you're fixing what is wrong with that place, you are then given the opportunity to tell those people whose problems you're fixing about Jesus. So you do that thing, you do the projects that are out in front of you, you fix the problems with that place, you, you then use that as an, a platform to tell those people about Jesus, you then go home patting yourself on the back, and you give a, a report back to the congregation about how you brought hope to these people who were hopeless, how you brought Jesus to these people who were hopeless, and everybody stands up and cheers, and, and then you go on with your normal everyday life. That is also a perspective on what missions trips are and what they're for. And some people are shaking their heads. You're probably very familiar with maybe this. Um, what I found out, unfortunately, as, as we were not only planning this trip, but then as we went to Pine Ridge, was that many of the people in our church that were a part of this trip that I was leading and the organization that we were, um, that we were going with had that mindset. And that is the mindset with, with which they brought to this trip and which they, they had certain expectations about what the trip was and what they were supposed to get out of it. 
so in August of, August 2nd, timeline's important here, you'll find out why later. August 2nd of 2014, we arrive in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Uh, we had 50 people on this family mission trip, uh, ages 6 to 60. Um, and, and we showed up in our caravan of vans, and we unloaded, and uh, we, we got settled in our rooms, and then we went and did an orientation to learn a little bit about what we would be doing over the course of the week, these different work projects that we would be doing throughout the reservation. And, um, and then we had a worship service uh, to like gin up those important emotions within us to go out and do this work over the course of the week. And then we went to bed, and then we got up the next morning, and we, we went off to these different projects to do that work. Uh, the things that we did not do uh, we did not talk about or focus on uh, the, how, how the people of Pine Ridge got there. We did not talk about the, the Oglala Lakota people and their forced removal from their land to go onto this reservation. We didn't talk about any of that. Uh, we did not talk about the Wounded Knee Massacre, where uh, several hundred men, women, and children were killed by the United States Army right on the Pine Ridge Reservation. We did not talk about re-education, re where uh, young Native American children were picked up on buses and brought somewhere where they could, uh, uh, they could learn to get the Indian out of them, basically. Uh, we didn't talk about that. And we didn't talk about the, the generational trauma that comes along with all of that. We went out and we did our work, we found the problems, we worked to fix them, and we patted ourselves on the back along the way, and we looked for opportunities to share Jesus with people. Well, within two days, uh, it was very clear that that second mindset was the one that, that we were working on, because suddenly there were rumblings from our, our crew. Uh, there were rumblings of the, this talk from some of the locals around white man's religion, and that was unsettling. Uh, there was this sense that, oh, th these people that we're serving, they don't really appreciate what we are doing for them. And then there were even things like uh, we would get back after doing the projects and there, there were people who were upset because we didn't get our food quickly enough. Oh, so th there's all these rumblings within our group. And it was clear that, like, that, that's what they were here for. They were here to fix the problems. Uh, they were not here for long-term development. They were not here for transformation within themselves. They were here to do that work and then walk, walk back and congratulate themselves. And that's what the organization was trying to provide as well. Um, hopefully, you see that as a, a not great way of understanding missions work. And that was a not great perspective for our group to come in with or, nor that organization to have. And yet, that type of mindset is often the type of mindset that individuals and organizations, churches, whole communities have when it comes to uh, combating racism. We see a problem, right? We have that acknowledgement. There's something that is wrong here. Great. That's a good start. Then there is a, oh, well, we want to do something to fix that problem. Okay? Let's, let's try to do that thing. But then there is not an instant gratification. This type of work takes time and investment and mistakes and recorrection and a commitment. 
And that commitment is not often there. And so if there aren't quick results, if there isn't a, a quick turnaround, there's often a, a sense of, well, why are we continuing to do this? It's not actually making a difference. Why on earth would we continue to do this, this work? And I want to argue, and hopefully you are, are coming to this conclusion as well, that that is not what we as individual followers of Jesus, nor a church, nor a community are called to. This is not courageously confronting racism. There is a better way to make the, that type of commitment, starting with acknowledgement, and then relationships, then moving towards the long, hard work of commitment. Uh, last week, I talked about this, uh, this guy named Paul. Paul was one of the earliest followers of Jesus. He, uh, he came to understand the grace of God so personally that he, he was convinced that it was not just for him, it was not just for people for him, but he needed to tell as many people as possible. And so he started traveling throughout the Roman Empire and uh, stopping in these different cities and starting new churches and raising up local leaders and then uh, putting those leaders in charge and then moving on to the next city. And he would do that over and over and over again, making his way east. Uh, eventually, he wanted to end up in Spain. But he didn't leave them behind. What he did is he often either would go back and visit them or write letters back to them to encourage them and then to remind them of the things that were most important. Sometimes those letters were quite critical. Other times, however, he was excited about what was going on there, and so there was the encouragement of, you're doing this great work, but don't get exhausted by it. Continue in it. Continue to make this commitment. Continue to do this work because it is important, even and especially when it takes a long time. So one of those churches was uh, the church in Philippi, and he writes this letter, which we have in our Bibles, called uh, the Book of Philippians. And this passage, which we're going to read together right now, is from Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. It's going to be up here on the screen behind me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be the, of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just as there is different perspectives on what mission trips are and, and what they're, they're for, uh, there are different perspectives on what Jesus was doing and why he was doing it. And there are whole church traditions that suggest that what Jesus did, what Jesus was 
here for was to die. Stop. Full stop. Jesus died. That was the point. And somehow we got some sort of benefit. We got to go to heaven eventually if we believe that he died for us. Uh, the, the whole point was death. That's where it ends. Which, if that's your perspective, what an incredible waste of time for Jesus to live around for 33 years. What an incredible waste of time. He, he could have just gotten, gotten to it, right? He could have just died immediately. Unless the purpose is not just the death, right? Unless the purpose, unless the, the main thing is not actually the death after those 33 years, but maybe the point, maybe the perspective on why Jesus came was in fact those 33 years. Maybe those 33 years were important because they showed us something important, not only about Jesus, not only about God, but what it means for us to be fully human. There is this, uh, there's this one word that, happen, that occurs in the middle of this passage when it's talking about um, what, what Paul is asking the people in Philippi to act like, and he's using Jesus as an example. of This is how you go about doing this faithful work. And the word in Greek is kenosis. Uh, in, in the English translation, it is emptied. Jesus emptied himself. What it means is that Jesus had all of these things that he could have held on to. People were going around saying that he was God. He could have gone around saying, you know what, I'm, have, you, have you heard who I am? <laughs> you know who I am, right? I'm God. Uh, or there were people going around saying, oh, he is the long-promised king of Israel. You've, you've heard about me, right? I'm the king. No, he didn't do that at all. Instead, he emptied himself of all of those privileges in order to take on the fullness of the human experience for 33 years, for all that comes with that. In Jesus, God made a commitment and it was a long commitment, 33 years. And it was a hard commitment to say, I'm going to be on the ground and experiencing everything that it means to be human in order for me to make a connection with these people, in order for things to be different going forward, not only for him, but for the people that he showed up for. Jamar Tisby, uh, who is the author of the, the book that, that we've been using for this uh, for this series, he talks about the, the experience of racism being like a light switch and a smoke alarm. And it's, it's a light switch and a smoke alarm for different types of people. So on the one hand, for people who largely look like me and have similar life experience to people like me, the experience of racism is like a light switch. There are times, there are moments in which that, that switch gets flipped. Um, there are things that show up on the TV where an unarmed black person is, uh, is killed by police that gets switched. There, there's somehow like this overt racism that we see in the world around us. Uh, slurs that get thrown around uh, or even said under your breath, uh, that, that light switch gets, gets flipped. Uh, we hear about things like the experiences that I talked about of the, the people in Pine Ridge, the um, uh, the, the massacre by the, the United States Army. We didn't know about that before. Light switch is flipped. It can go back off, though, with time. 
or with other experiences or when we forget about the things that, that turned it on. For other people, though, for black, indigenous, people of color, the experience of racism is largely like a smoke alarm. It's always there and always aware of what's going on in the air, and it is ready for when that thing shows up because it has been trained from life experience to be ready for it. Uh, most black people don't need to be educated about systemic racism because they have it in their bodies and their bones from the past 400 years of living in America. Native people don't need to be, uh, to be told or educated about white man's religion because they have hundreds of years of experience of people bringing their religion to them and all of the trauma and the death that follows from that. That smoke alarm is constantly there and ready for the things that are moving through the air. And so Jamar Tisby says, again, for those people who look like us and have the experiences, look like me and have the experiences like me, we need to think about what we can do con to continue to keep that light switch on. It is a commitment to continue to keep that light switch on, making ourselves aware having those relationships and committing to being aware of it in order that we can do something about it. Even and especially when it takes a long time, like 33 years or longer. Which brings me all the way back to Pine Ridge Reservation, the first week of August 2014. We arrived on August 2nd. By uh, August 4th, things were hitting the fan. <laughs> and something had to be done. And so at that point, when I heard all of that grumbling, it was, it was over dinner when I was hearing people complain about the food not showing up quickly enough, I said, all church meeting, 20 minutes in that room. And 20 minutes later, we sat in a big circle, and I talked about what was going on and what I was observing in them and observing in, uh, in the projects that we were doing. And there was a light switch. That went on not only for me but for our entire group and what it meant was that we went in as learners we went in not trying to fix people not trying to fix problems but to say how can this experience transform us how can we use this as a commitment not only here and now but for for ways of changing us as we go forward as we go back home and there was a light switch that happened in the people in in that room and the, the rest of the week was completely different. The mentality, the mindset of the people on our team was completely different. And the reception of the people that we were working with was completely different as well because they, didn't, they no longer saw themselves as mere projects. And I was convinced that as we went back, I needed to have that commitment as well. That it wasn't just about this week, but that I was going to bring that commitment back, not only in my, my own life, but in, in my ministry as I went back to uh, that church in Shakopee. And then Saturday, we were getting ready to head back home, August 9th, 2014. And on August 9th, 2014, news started breaking that uh, an 18-year-old named Michael Brown had been killed by police in Ferguson, Missouri. And many of the reports that were coming out at that time were that Michael Brown was shot by the Ferguson police while he had his hands up in the air. These might seem like completely disconnected things. 
But it was the experience of that time, of that week in Pine Ridge, that commitment that I was making in my head to racial justice and reconciliation, that I could not separate those two things. The light switch had been turned on. It was like a piece of tape was put over it, that I wasn't going to let it shut back off or, or uh, separate those two things that were happening. And so I, I went back and I was convinced I'm not going to look away from this. I am not going to keep quiet about this. I am going to, back, going to go back to my suburban church in Minnesota and talk about this. Which was not entirely received well. Um, I, did not, I did not get fired from this church. I did not get fired because of this thing. But the next Sunday when I got up and talked about this, it was clear that that was an inflection point for me in my experience at that church. And my, my time at that church was now limited because of the commitment and because of the stand that I was making. And yet what that meant was I was making that commitment for myself and making the commitment for any ministry that I was going to lead. And all the way back in August of 2014, the seeds were planted that eventually led to the starting of a new church in Cottage Grove that said one of the fundamental things of what it means for us to be a church is to cultivate the common good and be committed to the long, difficult work of racial justice and reconciliation. So, as those of us who believe in a self-emptying God, who made a commitment to set everything aside in order to take on the fullness of the human experience in all of its messiness, may we be willing to be self-emptying as well. May we commit to a life's work of racial justice and reconciliation. It is not easy work. It is not short work. There is not much instant gratification in this type of work. But it is worth it. May that be so.